today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Washing us and changing us and making us new through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Beloved, it's not an act of baptism, as important as it is, if you've not ever received believer's baptism, to be obedient to that as a testimony of your life, that you are dead to self and you want to be alive to Christ. As important as that is, Beloved, there is no salvation, abilities, partial completion, or anything in these baptismal waters. Guilt is a powerful thing. Feeling broken for the sin and evil you've done is a heavy burden. But it's in the midst of this brokenness that Jesus' mercy and forgiveness become active in your life, and you become new. Your guilt is gone. Your sin is forgiven. Today, Pastor David will explain the next step in response to this internal change that happens in your heart. Be baptized in obedience to demonstrate and give testimony that you were dead to sin, and now you're washed and made alive in Christ. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Repent and Be Baptized. In essence, it becomes a ritualistic declaration. You've got to say the right words, otherwise it doesn't work out. If you don't say the right words, then your baptism doesn't count. I dare say, I think that they've suddenly made more about the words being used than the actual issue of the baptism. They feel, unfortunately, they feel that the the methodology, the, the, the very verbiage, has to be correct in order for the effect of the baptism to be complete. They believe this actually in spite of the fact that the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28 told his disciples, hey, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name only. No, that's not what it says. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I really think the problem comes in in what could be labeled as a contextual reality. They're not seeing really what's going on in these passages. They're missing it. What they're missing here is this whole issue as Peter is talking to, when we look at this whole issue, What kind of people is it that Peter is talking to? We've already said it once or twice. What kind of people? Jewish people. Jewish people. And you know what? Jewish people are baptized continually. 
They have all kinds of baptisms. You go over to Israel and all over the place, there are mitzvahs there. They walk into baptismal pools and all kinds of times and all kinds of reasons they have these baptisms. And Peter knows that, that they've been baptized all through their lives for multiple issues, a, a, a form or a sign of spiritual cleansing. And we look at that and their baptisms are a little bit different than what we do. They don't require somebody on the side helping them. Actually, they walk, walk through the mitzvahs and they, they just literally walk in, lower themselves into the baptismal waters. And it is a sign for them, it is a declaration that God has washed me clean. God has cleansed me. There's nothing supernatural, there's nothing magical or mystical about any of the baptismal waters. It's an external sign, it's a declaration of what God has done in their lives. And so Peter knows these guys have been baptized multiple times. We see the Jews here now needing to understand that this baptism now, this is different than anything that you've ever done before. They needed to be now baptized in, or with a better understanding, baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And that wasn't just some ritualistic verbiage. No, it was symbolic of their recognition now that Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah. Oh, I've been baptized with the understanding of God the Father and His Spirit working within my life multiple times as a Jew, but now I need to be baptized now as Jesus Christ as my Lord. I'm now being baptized in the name of Jesus. And I believe, honestly, that's why Peter uh, said what he did. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, let's, let's get to us who are non-Jews, to the Gentiles, they needed to understand that their baptism was, was symbolic of a newfound faith with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They had been seeking after these pagan gods all of their lives. They did not know the God of Abraham, the, the Jewish God, the one true God, God Almighty, Jehovah. They did not know him or the power of his spirit. As a matter of fact, if we go back to that passage in Matthew 28 where Jesus is directing his disciples, he says, go therefore and make disciples what? Of all nations. And one of the things that we see in the Word of God, both Old Testament and New, is when they speak of nations, they speak of the Gentiles. Otherwise, they're speaking of Jews, of Judea, the children of Judea, uh, uh, God's people, a multitude of languages or, or names that they call. But when they speak of nations, nearly in every place, in the context of that, they're speaking of Gentiles. And so a Gentile has never been baptized in the name of the Father or the the Spirit. And Jesus says, no, you go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And beloved, I think it's that simple. I believe it's that straightforward. It is symbolic of the reality that my life is now God's. I want to die to myself. You know the problem? I don't know about you, but I, I wish that when I was baptized that I died to myself once for all. But we keep kind of kicking the nails off the coffin, don't we? And we keep crawling back alive. That's why the word says we need to die daily. We need to die daily. That's why Jesus tells you, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be willing to take your cross daily. You need to be willing to die daily. Let's look at another issue real quick in the same section of Scripture. And this one, it's, I, I believe it's a very big one. And that's the effect of 
baptism. Because again, I believe that there's a lot of misunderstanding. Too many people, I believe, uh, look at baptism and they're actually led astray. They misunderstand. They believe that a portion of their salvation is dependent upon baptism. I have to be baptized. And that baptism itself is a part of my remission or it's part of my payment for my sin. And yet, biblically, when we look at the whole Word of God, we see baptism is actually a sign of what's already taken place within an individual's life. Not as a necessity for or even as a necessary part of salvation, but as a sign of salvation and a changed life. All you need to do is look at the ministry of John the Baptist. You don't need to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 3, you can go back and reference it later. John the Baptist is on the Jordan River, and as he's baptizing people, again, uh, for the remission of their sins, Pharisees and Sadducees start coming down the hill there to be baptized by him. When John sees them, he says, no, you need to go. You need to show signs of repentance. This baptism wasn't anything that was going to be able to save them. If the baptism could have saved them, I think that John would have grabbed every Pharisee, every Sadducee he could have found and got them into those waters. We need to get you guys saved. We need to get you into these waters. But that's not what happened. John was telling him, no, you need to go and repent and be saved from the wrath to come, and then you can come and be baptized. One of the other things we can see later in that same chapter in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus himself came to be baptized by John. Does that mean that Jesus needed to be saved? Well, of course not. Jesus was sinless. He says, all that the Father has given me, I've done. He, He was a sinless sacrifice for us. Jesus came to John, certainly not in order to be saved, but symbolically showing himself already and completely submitted to the Father's will and to the Father's plan. Jesus told John, John says, man, I I have need to be baptized by you. John recognized the holiness that was right there. John recognized that, man, he is without sin. And John you know, recognized his own sinfulness. John said, no, I, you ought to be baptizing me. But, but the words of Jesus to him says, John, you need to permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now be careful even on the understanding of what he's saying there. To fulfill all righteousness. We've got to continue to understand what he said by by righteousness. Not that Jesus needed to be baptized in order to be righteous, but because as a demonstration of his absolute commitment to the Father, he says, let's do this. I want to declare it to everyone. I'm absolutely submitted. The Jews that observed the baptism there in Jordan understood This was symbolic of what was taking place or what had already taken place in their lives. We have to continually return to the truth of the Scripture, beloved, that the forgiveness of our sin is not based on whether or not we were baptized. The forgiveness of our sin is based on faith and faith alone. The cry of the reformers continues to ring true today that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone.
not through any other work. Even even the words of Jesus, uh, and again, a very familiar passage probably to most all of you. John chapter three, when the words of Jesus to Nicodemus, and remember, many of you have it memorized, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and is baptized will not perish. Is that what it says? No, it does not mention anything about baptism. Why would Jesus not give Nicodemus the whole deal? Uh, I'm not going to tell you about baptism, Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, no, whoever believes or has faith in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A little bit later in that same chapter, John chapter 3, down in verse 36, he who believes or has faith, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life unless he didn't get baptized. No, it doesn't say that. Why wouldn't it say that if that is so important? It says, whoever believes, it is an act of faith. It is a work of faith. And it's the grace of God. The thief on the cross. That's, that, boy, that's just an easy one. That's shooting you know, uh, a fish in a barrel. The thief on the cross, he was never baptized. And yet, what was his cry to Jesus? Lord, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus told him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, man, it's too bad. Well, we might be able to sprinkle you, but we're definitely not going to be able to immerse you. It just wasn't there. This day you'll be with me in paradise. And, and even here in Acts, uh, a little bit later on in, in the book of Acts, Peter again focuses on, again, the heart of faith and not on the act of baptism. When we get all the way over to Acts chapter 10 and they're at Cornelius' house. And again, we, we see salvation come on the house of Cornelius by evidence of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And all of that was prior to baptism. Yes, they followed up with believers' baptism after that as a sign and a declaration of their obedience to the Lord. Uh, Acts 10, verse uh, 43, Peter preaching to them of Christ, and he says to him, to Jesus, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Why didn't Peter tell them right then? Whoever believes in him and is baptized, you'll have the remission of sins. This is the same guy that's speaking in chapter 2. Beloved, because it's not baptism that gives us forgiveness of sin. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It's only after salvation that Peter said they needed to be baptized. And again, we can look at Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul now, he's speaking at Antioch of, and he preached the whole gospel message. And he called for men to believe in Christ without ever once speaking of the necessity of baptism. Oh, and then there's the issue of Paul himself speaking very directly about baptism and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Well, if baptism was a part of their salvation, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? 
I mean, as much as I love being able to say, oh, I, I baptized you, I, I remember that. I baptized you, I, I remember that. The excitement of that. But man, if it had salvific powers that says, man, when you're under that water, that is a completion of your salvation. Man, that would be even more powerful. But Paul says, man, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. And then, and then he goes on and says, well, lest anyone should say that I baptize in my own name. Oh yeah, I, I, I baptize the household of Stephanus. Besides that, he says, I, I don't know whether I baptized anybody else. He really downplays the importance. Now, understand what I'm saying here. It's important to be baptized. It is in the, again, the obedience of what God has called us to do, to be baptized in his name. But beloved, it's not because of salvation. If it was a salvation issue, he would have made a much stronger statement about that. Most importantly, the abundance of the verses that we see within the New Testament that deal with salvation, again, they deal with this, the, the reality that it is faith. And in those verses where it speaks of both works and faith, baptism is shown simply as a work of righteousness, a work of obedience, but it clearly does not save. Another verse that may be familiar to many of you that Paul, I believe, makes it so adamantly clear is Titus chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul says this, that it's when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, it wasn't by works of righteousness that we've done. In other words, not by any kind of ritual or, or ceremony or I believe even sacrifices or even baptisms. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and that renewing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, pastor, there it is right there, the washing of regeneration. That's what the baptismal waters do. No, they don't. That washing of regeneration comes upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit, washing us and changing us and making us new. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Beloved, it's not an act of baptism, as important as it is if you've not ever received believer's baptism, to be obedient to that as a testimony of your life, that you are dead to self and you want to be alive to Christ. As important as that is, beloved, there is no salvation, abilities, partial completion or anything in these baptismal waters. Let's not get hung up on these side issues and miss the most important part. Peter, back in Acts 2, verse 40, he says, and with many other words, he testified and he exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who had received the word those who came by faith received it. Yeah, then they were baptized. And then that summation of it all is the Lord added that day 3,000 souls. Interesting, the balance of this passage here in this chapter deals with living church life together. 
He says in verse 42, and I'm just going to read through it really quick. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Let me stop right now, put in a real quick parenthesis. Don't worry, we're not going to ask you to sell everything and bring it to the church. That's not where we're going with this. He goes on in verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's actually a a tremendous amount of things there that we're going to be going through over the next several weeks. But it brings up the point of this. You and I as believers, literally living life, together. Being a part of each other's lives, just as we are part of one body and each part of that body brings or submits or gives what's necessary for the betterment of the whole body. Being a part of the church isn't coming in and filling a seat on Sunday and and Wednesdays. That's not being a part of the church. Being a part of the church isn't just coming and and giving of your tithes and your offerings. Oh, we're glad that you do. Don't get me wrong. But that's not being a part of the church. Being a part of the church is being involved in the body of Christ. You see, I think that we have, 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 have come to a point in our culture that church is not lived the way that it was designed to live, Church is now in our culture today designed as a theater. We come, we sit, we enjoy all that's before us, we go home. And there's no life of the body together. And beloved, because of that, many within the body struggle. Many within the body, they're literally living life without any kind of direction. There's no closeness, there's no strengthening within their life. Because we live church today in our culture as a theater rather than the body of Christ coming together. Beloved, I believe that the body of Christ has become almost non-effective within our culture. I'm excited about what God has shown me in these next several verses. And I'm excited about what I feel God is calling us to do as a church. Now here's the hard part. I believe that being a believer and being a part of a local body requires commitment. Commitment. And you know what? Our culture, commitment is a four-letter word. If I'm comfortable, if it fits in my schedule, if it feels good to me, I'll be there. But if it requires of me, if it takes me out of my comfort zone, then I want to go someplace where I can get lost in the crowd and enjoy the theater and go home and not let it affect me or impact my life. I believe God is calling for us to be truly the church at this time, at this place. 
Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the open word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to The Open Word. Make a small-